This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's podcast number 311, and for this episode of the podcast, 311, it's it's the informational uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, we're up in Alpine, California, outside of San Diego, uh, for really fun. I, I've been wanting to do this episode for an incredibly long time. Uh, joining me is Sean McElhenney from McElhenney uh, Brewing here in Alpine. Uh, you may know them from the old brewery here, Alpine Brewing, that uh, you know that they was here before, which has its own story. We're not going to get into that too much, um, but here we are at the site of that original Alpine Brewery. Sean, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, and we're drinking the this iteration. I'm drinking months right now. Right, um, your iteration of a, a classic beer. Um, you know, that has its roots in the beer Alpine Nelson, right. a beer that's such a touchstone for so many brewers that, uh, that really became a foundational, you know, beer, uh, became many people's like first experience with Southern hemisphere hops, at least m- many people here in North America, it became one of those, that beer was a leading <laughs> proponent for this entire category of hops <laughs> and actually, you know, helped change the IPA landscape. It's kind of cool, you know, to think about the impact that a beer yeah. can have like that it was a catalyst it uh it, great beer great hops uh you know kind of owed all to my dad it uh, was 2003 when he was in new zealand yeah. celebrating his 25th wedding anniversary and he and my mom traveling through the countryside in new zealand saw hops growing stopped found out where they were and god it took us almost a year and a half almost two years to get the hops from new zealand huh. to san diego customs blew their minds when they were <laughs> what the heck are these things coming through hops what is it you know took a month of sitting at customs to get the hops here and then was born a golden rye ipa that uh, <laughs> and the rest is history well, we're going to yeah. talk about that history and we're going to talk about uh, you know the way that uh, that uh, you know McElhenney now takes that long legacy of brewing with these hops shapes into so many creative expressions we're going to kind of dig into uh, how you all think about these things and then, uh, you know, get the most out of these hops uh, because this episode has to focus on hops. Before we do that, for years, G&D Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000-plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built, offering 24-7 service and support. G&D builds with non-proprietary parts, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. G&D's in-house engineering crew have been piping breweries, wineries, and distilleries for over 30 years. They offer free piping design and consultation with the sale of every chiller they build. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode sponsored by BSG, proud distributor of New Zealand Hops Limited, who invites you to experience Nectaron, an aromatic New Zealand hop drenched by tropical waterfalls of grapefruit, passion fruit, pineapple, and peach. Nectaron is in stock and ready to ship, so order now and unlock the delicious citrus potential of your next IPA or any IPA. Contact your BSG sales rep with any questions or visit bsgcraftbrewing.com slash hops 
to learn more. See, it's way easier to get those hops now, Sean. Um, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk more about that. Like I said, also scheduling freight carriers should be the last thing on a brewer's mind. So why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard is partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your flavored craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes. To get started, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer also if you're a brewery and planning or just kicking around the idea head on over to breweryworkshop.com learn more about our fall brewery accelerator event in denver it's a four-day intensive on starting a brewery designed to help you understand what you don't know that you don't know learn more at breweryworkshop.com so sean let's talk about uh let's talk about McElhenney. Give it, give me the, the the history in this place, you know, this town. You've got a lot of history in it. Your dad has a lot of history in it. That's right. Like the whole the, the town, the location, where the brewery is, the room we're sitting in now. That's now your tap room. Like all of this, you know, it's you're, it's very connecting and it's very rooting. This is a brewery that's of the place and connected to it. Um, you know, so so yeah. Tell me tell me the story. It was definitely a homecoming moment. Uh, the space became available to us uh, shortly after COVID had hit, uh, you know, crap hit the fan and things weren't good in the beer industry, especially in San Diego. Uh, we acquired the space here that we originally started Alpine Beer with, uh, upgraded our brew house and started brewing beer uh, about two and a half years ago, almost. I'm sorry, two years ago. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary. Uh, it's funny having a two-year anniversary for a, a place and a, a family that's been brewing here for as, in this location for as long as you have. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. I understand. Yeah. 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 Um, you, you know, when the last time I was here was, I think, 2014, you know, and uh, the, it was... Everything was out of the brew house, uh, you know, a couple doors down from where we are now. That's right. Um, I shouldn't say everything. There was, there was the restaurant was right here, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, I remember getting growlers filled back there, uh, you know, back in the day, um, and you know, it's still there. You've still got the cellar there. You've got a new brew house in the same location, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's still making beer the way that you always made it. Well, maybe a little bit. A little more sophisticated now than it was back then. But. Yeah, we have access to numerous new and awesome ingredients and uh, yeah, techniques that weren't really being experimented with uh, back then. So it's all about progression, I guess. Sure. Yeah, moving forward. And if we if we rewind to those early days, tell me the story about your dad getting into brewing and launching the original Alpine Brewery. Back in the mid 80s, my dad, while being a full time career firefighter, uh, experimented with homebrewing. Uh, a lot of firefighters have extra time on their hands sure. uh, when they're not at work, and a lot of them have second jobs. My dad approached homebrewing with the intention of making it a second career and exceeded at it, uh, excelled even, uh, took the. Uh, Took some courses from UC Davis, mm -hmm. microbiology and sanitation for the brewing industry and uh, practical brewing uh, sciences and applied all that to opening the brewery here. Uh, got a really good leg up in the industry by uh, being able to brew Alpine beer before he even had a brewery or location through the help of Ale Smith and uh, Peter Zian and Skip Regilio. Uh, I think Skip still owned it at that point. Uh, you know, really helped out and kickstarted Alpine Beer once we found a location uh, in a brew house, moved everything in, and it was uh, go, go, go. Uh, from 2002 to about 2000, 
four, it was mostly my dad. I helped out in any capacity he would let me, you know, yeah. worked from the bottom up, washing kegs and uh, graduated to, uh, you know, cleaning tanks. And then it was bottling beer. And then it was, hey, you know, help clean the brewing equipment or now it's time to mash out. And then 2006, it was uh, got my opportunity to brew a batch of beer and the rest is history. I liked it. Yeah, 2006. <laughs> so you became brewer for Alpine then. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And it was. Uh, it started with a big old double IPA for the Peatsport Strong Ale Festival and the first keg to kick during the fest. And uh-huh. it, was a, it was a pretty good intro to brewing beer. So those were different different days for uh, hoppy beer here on the West Coast. It's still like early budding days, you know, for what we now consider, you know, such a classic and timeless west coast style like you know we forget that it's not that old and uh you know it went through a lot of development in those mid-2000s what uh you know how you know talk to me about going through that and how you all in conversation with other brewers making beers that challenged each other and showed what was possible like you know kept pushing each other you know to help develop these beers in the directions that they did yeah let me start by saying one of the great things about San Diego beer in general, probably the the brewing industry as a whole during that time was a sense of uh, cooperative competition. Yeah. And so we wanted to see everybody do good. And so there weren't really many secrets. If you had a question you wanted to ask, you just ask it. And you, the feedback you got was, you know, there was ne- never any proprietary information. It was, uh, what do you want to know? I'll tell you what you can do, or how sure. you can do it. And, uh, that helped. Um, the idea for some of our IPAs really came about from our bestsellers, right? Mm-hmm. The pure hoppiness, the exponential hoppiness, or the duets, and these influential beers that were kind of run of the mill for us at the time. Uh, we wanted to explore flavor and expression and see how far we could push boundaries and still keep the beer drinkable while uh, approaching almost tri- you know, double digit ABVs. And it was just fun experimenting with beer (laughs) (laughs) makes it sound so easy so so simple you know but these were still you know fairly revolutionary things at the time and definitely pushing this edge of of uh you know where these flavors are going you know by pulling out the you know the the more bodybuilding malts that that had historically been an ipa when i say historically i mean i mean for the previous eight or nine years right because that history of ipa is not exactly you know as a american craft style as of the mid-2000s it was still pretty fresh and young and developing at that yeah. point too yeah um you know and so so you know where where did you find that inspiration and what was it like hey what if we do this why do we push it this way a lot of it came from what we wanted to drink, right? Yeah. Obviously, we're, we're chasing our taste buds or our palates, and uh, it was lucky for us that the general consumer had very similar paralleling uh, taste buds and yeah. flavor cravings. <laughs> and from that, it was uh, what ingredients are accessible? What can we get? Um, uh, basically, focusing on quality was yeah. you know, paramount. Well, then the hops, of course, you know, were, you know, in that mid 2000s. They, I mean, all of a sudden there were new things that were available th- to then brew with. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and those ingredients could also serve as some inspiration for, for where you could go. Right. Yeah. Uh, God, in the early 2000s, we were introduced to hops like Simcoe and Citra and, you know, these flavors and aromas that we weren't used to with 
the hops that we had readily available at the time. And so it was, you know, trying to extract as much of that new flavor and character from the hops as possible and doing that through fermentation. And, you know, I guess we were on the early kick of uh, thiols and just didn't really even know it. Right? <laughs> you didn't import your own uh, New Zealand hops in order to, <laughs> to get your thiol fix in there. Yep. But uh, yeah, you were on the thiol craze before it became, well, I should say, you probably helped create the thiol craze if, uh, if we're really going back and looking at it. Uh, anyway, I want to talk more about New Zealand hops and then, and of course, how you brew with those and how you've structured beers in order to you know to bring out some of those flavors and uh, you know build this across the spectrum before we do that take your brewing to the next level with AccuBrew's revolutionary fermentation monitoring system now predicting specific gravity AccuBrew's mobile app and stainless steel sensor work together to send you live data from inside your tanks including predicted gravity fermentation activity clarity and temperature unlike other fermentation monitoring systems AccuBrew is CIP ready and designed to stay out of your way, saving you time and space. Their set-it-and-forget-it solution streamlines systems and processes, helps maintain consistency and detect problems before they ruin a batch. Join the AccuBrew community today and experience 24-7 peace of mind. Also, brewing is currently one of the most innovative, adaptive, and fast-paced industries in the world. With consumer demand shifting to the latest and greatest trend, it can be difficult for production teams to keep up with requirements. The ProFill series of rotary can fillers from ProBrew are accelerating plant production everywhere. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers. For more information, visit www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew, brew your beer. And Tabski QR code ordering is the future of brewery ordering. With Tabski, your customers can order and pay for their beers right from their phones by scanning a QR code at the table. Get rid of lengthy lines and increase check sizes by up to 30%. Tabski is free for operators and integrates seamlessly with popular payment systems like Clover and Square. So why not join the future of brewery ordering and give Tabski a try? Learn how you can get started today at Tabski, T-A-B-S-K-I dot com. So let's talk about, uh, you know, building some of these seminal, some foundational, uh, inspirational, uh, you know, New Zealand hop or Southern Hemisphere hopped beers. Um, you know, as, as you and your dad were, I, I guess this was originally your dad, but then, uh, you know, you, you know, you also took over some role in helping hone and, and shape these things in the mid two thousands yeah. with, uh, you know, with, you know, these some of the Southern hemisphere hopped beers. Uh, how did you all start thinking about those and how did, you know, you know, how did you decide, you know, start building recipes that, uh, that helped these hops express in that kind of, uh, lyrical way? Most of the recipes came from being reverse engineered. You kind of came up with an idea of what you wanted the final product to be and then yeah. work backwards. And uh, that's where the fine tuning came in uh, and trying to hone that to get exactly what you wanted, how which you, was how, really difficult. How, yeah. How do you design? Like, how do you work that way? Like, do you, you know, you say, well, this is what I want to taste like. Is that, are those words? <laughs> you know, do you articulate sort that? Of. Yeah, or? It's more of a feeling, I guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, thinking of, you know, warm moments in beer history. Uh, you know, that first sip of, uh, you know, some IPA from, you know, some awesome brewer that it's that light bulb moment and you know, try to recreate that or put your own spin on it. It's, uh, you know, just 
trying to keep brewing fun still, uh, which it is again for the first time in a long time, <laughs> which I can, oh, I love it. Um, but New Zealand hops in particular, uh, because of their unique terroir, uh, yeah. nothing else is like them. Uh, the fact that New Zealand doesn't use herbicides, pesticides, or right. pesticides, no, downy, no, mildew, all that, yeah. no, no infestations of anything is, makes them far superior. You know, you get organic quality without the hefty price tag of being, you know, considered organic. Uh, and just the flavor expressions and aromas that you get out of these hops are unlike anything else you can get in the world. Try to, you try to make those unique flavors and aromas shine bright, as bright as you can, right? And so we're just doing the best we can to capture as many of those good flavors and aromas as we can. Sure, sure. Well, let's talk about months, for example. Right. Um, you know, a beer that had its roots in the old Alpine Nelson IPA. It is similarly a rye, uh, you know, IPA, or at least has rye as a grist component of it. Right. Um, you're up here, you know, uh, at a higher elevation outside of San Diego. You have a different water source than the city. Um, you know, but but all of these beers are going to start with water. What does what does your water start with? So a little hard, uh, good mineral content, and uh, perfectly suited for making hoppy beers and accentuating hop characters and sulfate is, uh, component to it correct and which is awesome so we don't have to do much in the way of doctoring our water most of our stuff goes through a carbon filter and that might be it depending on the beer okay and, yeah so as minimal uh, as an approach as we can take um and you know focus on that good water that we are blessed to have yeah. being removed from uh, you know downtown san diego sorry to all the other brewers that have to deal with that but <laughs> You know, <laughs> it is at an advantage for sure. Well, you know, these these high sulfate levels and, and you know, even further down in San Diego, high mineral content in general, mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly creates a distinctive uh, style and means that this whole, you know, city and county is geared towards making a certain kind of beer. It, uh, you and know. it shows. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Through recent metals, of course. Yeah. Uh, but with months in particular, uh, we, we took, you know, the idea for the original Nelson beer that we made so many years ago, uh, and we tweaked it. I uh, added a percentage of rye. There is a different specialty grain. Uh, Nelson used to have Maris Otter. We've switched over to using Golden Promise and in a higher percentage hmm. um, just for a more unique character. It's more of a mouthfeel in the finished product. It's uh, something that you couldn't get from just typical two-row, hmm. right? It's just a little bit more... Special, right? It, it special. Keeps you, it what keeps does special taste like? Tastes like, ah, man, a big hug in a glass. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, to me, it sets a soft stage for the hops to play on. Mm. Uh, so it, it's not as crisp as like the Maris Otter, right? Yeah. It's a little more round on the mouthfeel. Okay. You don't get as much sharpness. Uh, although the, the bitterness is moderate. Well, it's still there. This is uh, it, it completely unfiltered, unfined. Um, so it's, you know, after fermentation, we drop yeast, we dry hop, we let it do its thing, and we send it to the bright tank, carbonate it, and then that's it. Most other beers get uh, a healthy dose of a silica fining agent because uh, we like our clear beer too, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you just can't get that with uh, the time frames that we're looking at. Of course, yeah. we could do it with time and temp, but... 
Nobody's got time for that. Really. So you ramped up the rye in this one too for for this month's iteration. Yeah, so we're sticking at about twenty four percent rye. Oh wow, yeah. okay, that's a healthy percentage. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah, we're up there for sure. And part of that was, you know, it historically the beer had just south of twenty percent. It was right around eighteen percent rye. Mm-hmm. Which caused problems with the louder and, you know, it was always something. It would take, you know, almost twice as long to brew a batch of uh, Monster Nelson than anything else. And uh, with our uh, bioglucanase or uh, with the aid of enzymes, we're able to <laughs> circumvent that uh, lengthy louder or stuck mash or whatever that is, you know. All right. Better living through chemistry. <laughs> Absolutely. Better brewing, uh, <laughs> brew house experience, better brew day through oh, chemistry. Every time my attitude improves dramatically when yeah. it doesn't take twice as long. <laughs> yeah. Um, same rye variety. Uh, so we're using a flaked rye product from uh, Grain Millers. It's uh, easy to introduce. We dose it in line with everything else, right? So we have sort of a reverse grist case operation. So rather than sending everything through a mill to a grist case loaded in and then loaded into the mash tun, what we do is we load our grain hopper uh, that falls in directly into the mill, mill augers straight to the mash tun. So it takes a little bit longer to mash in, but uh, everything flows smooth, especially with those rolled oats. What we had found in the past using uh, traditional rye grain, being a smaller kernel, we would have to pre-mill it. and it was a lengthy process and it just wasn't suited for what we were doing. So we uh, hit the gas and just rolled with the uh, rolled it or <laughs> flaked dry. Flaked dry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, is all of the base malt golden promise or you mix in some. Uh, there some- is some two row in there and a little bit of acidulated mulch for uh, pH adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, from from that mash process, is there anything special to the way that you do it? Single no, infusion mash, absolutely. Yep, turn and burn. Uh, yeah. Keep your temps low, and then you know, boil the snot out of it. Uh, we do ninety minute boils. Boil traditionally. the snot out of it. Why? Uh, because we have a steam powered system. It's a fairly gentle boil, and so we don't get crazy boilovers we don't get huge rolling boils it's almost like a simmer but a little bit more than that and so 90 minutes gets you the evaporation you're looking for color you're looking for and everything is soft and gentle sure sure what uh well let's talk about hops in this because now we're gonna you know if we're talking about boiling we're also talking about adding (laughs) some hops you know into that mix what is uh and it is a 50 50 split between nelson salvin and nectaron hops and the nectaron was uh new when we first started macaloni brewing and it was kind of an epiphany it still had an experimental number associated Mm -hmm. with it it wasn't named yet but uh i kind of just followed the money right you see where all the uh, research and development (laughs) funds are going to uh, hops in new zealand and they hadn't spent money like this uh for on anything since nelson sovereign and so to me it just kind of seemed like this was the next one and it turns out that it pairs up really well with nelson sovereign so nectaron is one of my new favorite hops Uh, there's a couple that are really hitting the mark nowadays but i promise we didn't pay you to say that uh you know nor, <laughs> nor did new zealand hops limited or bsd or any of our sponsors no yeah. um <laughs> what do you when you when you think about the way that they work together you know nelson sovin and nectaron working in concert with each other how right. you know how do you you know what does that mean how do you think about the way that they complement each other 
right? Uh, because the Necron is so heavy in what I consider pineapple-like character, mm-hmm. uh, which was unique, except for some Michigan-grown Chinook and maybe some of the stuff in the Pacific Northwest, like Oregon uh, Chinook, get a lot of that pineapple. Um, I thought it would play really well with the subtle diesel-like character of Nelson with that unique fruit. You know, everybody says gooseberry, but I'm pretty confident 90% of the people that say that have never experienced what a gooseberry (laughs) actually tastes like. Uh, Having gone to New Zealand, I can tell you there's not much else that tastes like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's really true. But uh, in concert with the the pineapple character from the Nectaron, I just, I I thought it was going to work and I'm happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that those are the only hops then hot side and cold side. Hot and cold. And so it's a decent addition uh as a first wort uh addition then not much else until Whirlpool. What's and the why, why first wort? Uh I like the way a first wort hop addition comes across. It is like I keep saying soft, but it's not as aggressive, I think, mm-hmm. as like, a, you know, throw it in 60, 30 minutes or wherever you want. But it loses some of that sharp edge that I think to me detracts from drinkability. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we want we want these beers dry first and foremost, keep coming back for more. But uh, as flavorful uh, in a approachable way as possible. Why? I mean, you know, Nectaron and and Nelson Sovin are some expensive hops. They are, you know, for something that you're <laughs> going to put into first wort, basically for bittering, and then over in the course of a ninety minute boil, are going to drive off a lot of the things that you've now paid a lot of money for. Yeah. Why? Why stick to those for that kind of first wort hop edition? To stay true to the two hop uh, lineage. I, I, it might not make financial sense, but we are <laughs> we are running a fine line. We are still staying profitable, thank God, uh, which keeps us able to make more of these. We have contracted enough that we can make uh, enough of this beer to hopefully keep at least Southern California happy. Yeah, and uh, with our recent delve into uh, direct to consumer shipping, uh, the rest of the state of California can enjoy it too. We ship weekly, so uh, sure. <laughs> When it comes to, to bitterness, how much are you you know pushing through this kind of hot side edition? Uh, so we'll probably hit a charge of maybe 15 to 20 IBUs up right. front, and then everything else comes from the Whirlpool edition, which we do get significant pickup there, but uh, it's you know we're probably sitting between 40 and 45 IBUs total. Yeah. yeah. What is what is that Whirlpool then? look like for you and it's about I mean, a pound because per there's barrel. so many so many fun <laughs> whirlpool techniques and uh you know timing and temperature and everything else these days what is what does yours look like so we what, what i call back brew uh right we brew strong wort and then we dilute down with oh, cool okay. water right? yeah and that's our way of driving the temperature down so we don't volatilize all those uh, awesome flavor compounds right so we'll try to bring the whirlpool down to about 180 before we add our Whirlpool edition. How much do you water back? Uh, it's a couple barrels. Okay. Right. So we'll start with maybe 15 barrels of liquid in the kettle, mm-hmm. top off to about 17 or so. And then that usually drives the temp down enough that we're happy and yeah. we get the most flavor and aroma with uh, as little bitterness as What temperature as does that drive the Whirlpool down to? Right around 180 degrees. Okay. Yeah, between 180 and 185. 
depending on the day. You're still in that kind of safe space. You're not, you're not yeah. going too extreme down there. We're not. We don't need to hit the 160 mark. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. What, uh, how, how long does that uh, process take? And, uh, you know, how much co- hop contact time is there in, the, in this whirlpool? So we'll spin for 10 minutes and then we'll let it rest for 10 minutes after we've hit our uh, uh, designated gravity. Yeah. Right. And so typically we're sitting at 15 and a half Play-Doh uh, before we knock out into the kettle. And then our beers dry out like crazy lately, which is a good thing, I guess. Um, you know, everything's in spec, so we're good to go. So you're jumping way ahead there. We 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 haven't talked about fermentation, and uh, you know, you know, you, you went right to dry hopping. Uh, I forgive. Yeah, please forgive me. I, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's perfectly fine. But let's talk about that. What is what's fermentation then look like for these beers? Uh, we ferment high on the high side so we start at 68 and we'll do a slight temperature ramp up throughout fermentation at the end we'll try to hit about 70 degrees Mm -hmm. just for any diacetyl cleanup if we need to um we haven't had any issues so far thank god so is this Uh, a standard west coast yeast or uh we use bsi one okay yeah it's an american ale yeast Mm -hmm. um very similar i'm sure it's a chico derivative yeah uh We've had great success with everything BSI, and that's the one that I like because we use it for everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we still get the turbid, you know. I was going to say, we, like, we it get, still holds, uh, you know, some some of this kind of unfiltered IPA look. And, you know, it, it's not, uh, you know. It's would, a polyphenol it's not, haze. It's not murky. <laughs> no, you know, it's, no. It's not that kind of... Uh, um, you know, you we'll know leave heavy, heavy protein for pure project. Exactly. You know, they, they do the murkies and, uh, you know, everybody else with the hazies. It's they do. And the next episode of the podcast will be Winslow Sawyer of, of pure project talking right. about their murky process. So, yeah. uh, you know, hey, we'd love those guys. Yeah. 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 But, um, <laughs> you know, but it does actually, you know, hold, hold, you know, some, um, you know, some, uh, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't call it haze, just, just more of a unfiltered heft yeah. to it. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, gosh, I, I, I snapped a photo. Sorry, and nobody else will be able to see this, but uh, memory popped up on my Facebook today uh, of what Nelson looked like eight years ago. <laughs> it looks pretty similar. Pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but with new updated ingredients and uh, recipe formulation and on a new brew house to us. <laughs> And that, so that was that same yeast back then, and uh, you know, obviously a little bit of different different grist bill. Right, we were using Cal. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm sorry. No, we were using BSI back then. Mm. It was never had any issues with it. Sure, sure. You know, you know. Well, of course, since that point, eight years ago, you know, <laughs> haze has come into vogue in a different kind of way, and uh, you yeah. know, certainly ramped up uh, well past this level of haze, but. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, you know, at the same time, you're putting a lot of stuff into it you, that could pull out that haze, uh, you know, right. you're not fining, but, uh, you know, when you start adding a heavy dry hop load, you know, you're putting matter into, you know, into that, uh, liquid Absolutely. that certainly can pull some of that back out. Um, what is, uh, you know, what is that dry hopping process then look like for you? Are you, um, dry hopping at all during active fermentation? Are you, is this a hitting not final and then yeah hitting final gravity uh we will crash to uh, we'll take the temperature down from 70 to about 55 degrees uh that'll allow a lot of the yeast to flocculate that hasn't already mm-hmm. uh we'll dump that until we hit beer and after that we will dry hop like normal 
Uh, everything goes in at once. Um, just open the top of the tank. Dump it, it in. in. Yeah, we're providing positive T90 pressure. Pellets. T90 pellets for the most part, uh, especially with months. Um, the uh, Nectaron and Nelson Sovin weren't available in cryo form to me <laughs> at the time of the, <laughs> me writing this recipe. Sure, but, sure. Uh, uh, after 24 hours of uh, hops being in the beer, we will recirculate. And so we'll pull from the racking arm at the side of the tank and recirculate up through the bottom of the fermenter mm. uh, for about 30 minutes or so. Um, we'll do that 24 hours after dry hop. Then you, we'll do you it. You trust your pump to uh, to not uh, oxidize your beer through that process. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so far, so good. Okay. So, yep. We're not going to mess with it because it's working. Uh and why why that method versus you know say you know, you know rousing, or, rousting or you know we feel like we're getting more rousing yeah through the gentle research it's we're not ripping it it's mm. you know it, it's a it's a gentle flow but uh the more contact time with the service area of the hops themselves mm-hmm. and so we're able to not really extract but we're able to pull a little bit more of that flavor and aroma out now, Which I'm happy with. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and uh, you know, this th- this extraction process is mm. always a trade off, right? Yeah. Because it is possible to also potentially over extract oh, and yeah. get into some of the characteristics of those hops that you may not very like, unpleasant yeah. may not like as much as others. <laughs> Correct. How do you balance that through this process? Uh, you want the good, fruity, fun little bit of uh you know the the you know diesel-y uh we're pushing uh, the fine line of uh, enough and too much right and so we set it about two and a half pounds per barrel dry hop and part of that is we're leaning a little less than some people might but uh a little bit more just trying to find that balance to get the most expression out of the hops without sacrificing beer in the long run right we're trying to get the most out of these tanks that's it's not a big operation, so every drop counts, right? Sure, sure. And obviously, having high quality hops, you know, to start with helps quite a bit in that. But sure. Um, and so, how long? You, you twenty four hours? Is that what you mentioned for this time process? Twenty four hours after hops have been introduced to the beer is when we'll recirculate the first oh, okay. time. Okay. Uh, five days later, approximately, we will recirculate again, and then drop the temp to thirty two. Once it hits 32 degrees, our bright tank has been sanitized, purged, pressurized, and ready to receive beer. And uh, from there, we transfer into the bright, carbonate to uh, the appropriate level, and either package or keg. So basically, six, seven days, you know, for hop contact time through the dry hop. Seems Correct. that's a good amount of time to to leave the that's beer, a lot. and it's <laughs> only a single single stage of dry hopping on this, right? Why why do that in one rather than like two shorter stages? I couldn't tell you. This is just how we've been doing it. And uh, okay. because it works, I don't want to mess with it too much. <laughs> right? We'll save those experiments for other beers. That's the year. That's as good an answer yeah. as any. Well, I want to I want to talk to you about how you select, you know, that uh, you know, that Nectaron and that Nelson Sovin mm-hmm. for this in order to capture what you really like about it. Before we do that, oh You like wildly aromatic IPAs and tropical lagers? Good thing Omega designed thialized yeast just for that reason. Thialized yeast are a new tool for brewers to bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. And wait, there's more. Omega yeast makes yeast to order with a consistent one-week lead time, ensuring peak freshness and reliability. 
Also, keep your brewery running smoothly with five-star chemicals. Their cleaning solutions are specifically formulated to meet the unique needs of breweries, ensuring that your equipment stays clean and free of harmful bacteria and contaminants. From cleaning fermenters to kegs, they have a solution for every step of the brewing process. Use five-star chemicals today and taste the difference in your brews. And ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years. They are proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. They know the ins and outs of brewing and installation process and can design the perfect setup for you, whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. So, Sean, as you are rubbing and uh, evaluating hops for selection. And it is kind of fun that you get to select some of these things yeah. and, uh, you know, and do that, which, you know, Hey, uh, you guys have earned that. Um, you know, what, when you are, you know, how do you, how do you think about the selection process? What does that range you know, in Nectron and Nelson Sovin look like for you? What are some of the characters that you are specifically looking, you know, for in the rub, you know, and of course, since you guys have been brewing with these hops for so long, you know, what makes it from the rub into the finished beer? What doesn't, you know, what can you ignore in that kind of evaluation process? Uh, we look for a strong fruit forward character, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be passion fruit or guava or gooseberry or what, what have you. Uh, and middle of the senses, you're looking for that white wine character, uh, that Sauvignon Blanc grape expression, uh, f with a finish that might be slightly diesel-y or fuel like, I guess, for lack of a better descriptor. Um, yeah, these are all things that were part of Nelson from the get-go. When mm -hmm. we first started using it, uh, that first batch of the Golden Rye IPA, because we didn't even have a name for it uh, at the time, uh, the first review we ever got from it was somebody said it smelled like the inside of a dirty garage. And I think a lot of people agreed <laughs> took it to heart and that's what they remembered about the original versions of nelson was i want it to smell like an automotive garage and to me i'd i'd, I'd like a little less of that and more of right. the fruit expression uh for personal reasons i guess i just drinking a dirty garage doesn't sound like something i'd want to do a lot of yeah yeah <clears throat> uh so you know that that very vibrant fruit character is paramount. It's uh, it's at the top of the list of what we want from the hops, and they are polarizingly different in Nelson Sauvin and Nectaron, and I think that's why they work so well together. Is you know, you've got a very distinct pineapple, you know, uh, with a hint of citrus in one, and then you've got this wine-like sweet fruit character coming from the Nelson Sauvin, and together they just they work. Yeah. Are there some things that as you're rubbing them are like an instant, uh, hey, no, I'm going to step away from this one? There there wasn't many. Uh, so we were able to select our Nelson Sauvin uh, from Freestyle Farms in New Zealand, and they based it off of Pictate. Mm. And so over the course of, I think it was 10 days, uh, they had different lots at different picking times mm. that the expressions became slightly different and right in the middle, I think is the sweet spot. Uh -huh. You get the maximum amount of the uh, fruit 
combined with the hints of cannabis and mm-hmm. the diesel like character that some people love and some people just can't stand. <laughs> sure. What is that? Yeah. What is that pick date? Well, you know, what what is early pick Nelson Sovin? You know, like versus late pick Nelson Sovin. So they're more citrus forward towards the beginning. Okay. Uh, early harvest definitely focuses more on citrus. Yeah. Uh, later harvest, uh, the citrus kind of falls to the background. Uh, fruit is a little bit more mild, and you get more of that diesel quality. It's it's the same thing everywhere, right? You it, know, there, the, there's that perfect yeah. window, yeah. and it's kind of specific to whatever brewer is smelling it at the time yeah you know? and i imagine there's some variance too amongst those growers amongst the growers and you know right in new zealand and uh, not everyone you know is growing in the same exact uh, soil and uh, I, you know obviously there's lots of the things that can change around that but in- interesting right. to see like uh you know it's it's very similar more more alpha later on as well as uh you know more of that onion and garlic and you know for late pick With american that. you know northwestern hops and yeah. uh it seems like uh you know some things are similar wherever you go right yeah, yeah it's the same there and uh so and same with nectron as, as nelson sovin Right. Unfortunately, I did not get to select. Mm, okay. uh, and so we were just dealt whatever sure. they had. Hey, and it's working. It's working. Yep. And uh, even though I had placed a request with New Zealand Hops Limited directly and told them the plate of, you know, new brewery. But hey, my dad was the guy that introduced the U.S. <laughs> to your hop products. And uh, there was no love. There was no oh, nothing. I mean, just, oh. It was, uh, oh, thanks for the story. And uh, yeah, you can get our hops through BSG like everybody else. All right. So we did, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, but now that... Uh, maybe yeah. they'll hear this podcast and yeah, uh, have a change of heart. We'll see. Right? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about let's talk about uh, you know some of the other ways that you uh, blend these hops outside of of months. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, Nectaron and Nelson Sovin together make a great mix. Sure, um, but you've got a lot of IPAs up here on the board that uh, you know play with other hop you know, varieties. Even though they are very focused, I mean, you don't have a ton of other hops, right. but you do mix these hops in, in other ways with you know, Pacific Northwest hops. Yeah. It's almost like there's this house New Zealand hop flavor to uh, <laughs> McElhenney uh, coming out of that Alpine tradition. Yeah, and it's going to get even better. Uh, next week we have a collaboration brew slated with Freestyle Farms. They're bringing over some of their early harvest New Zealand Cascade, which I was told has a, a very, very complex white grapefruit character mm. coming through and then uh, some high file lots of matuika that they're really really excited for a complex tropical fruit character and that classic lemon lime zest thing going on and mm-hmm. so i'm going to try to make them a beer that they can be proud that their name is on sure um, but some of the other hops like uh so our our, our house ipa as i call it the wizard's wand it's a strata mosaic beer and just two hops that in and of themselves are great by themselves but mm-hmm. Together, they offer something that you just couldn't get one dimensionally. And, uh, you know, in a six and a half percent package, it's infinitely drinkable. That's why we try to make it as often as we can. Uh, And then, well, with that, so, you know, that's your West Coast IPA as opposed to this, uh, you know, rye IPA in the months. (laughs) Uh, How does the, the grist bill differ for that using, you know, and I imagine you're tweaking, you know, the recipe to fit those hops and that sure. kind of expression and this idea that you've now built for that beer. Right. Uh, what does that idea look like and how does that express itself in those recipes? 
uh, you know, rely heavily on uh, two row, uh, of course, uh, being the base of the beer. And we try not to make it. Uh, but no overly... Golden Promise in that one. There is there is Golden Promise, and there is a Brees product called Gold Pills Vienna. Huh. Uh, it's a very low color. It's not a traditional Vienna. It's uh, more Pilsner like than anything, but it offers uh, another layer of flavor. Right. Uh, uh, what kind uh, of percentages do you have to use to get just the right flavor? We're between 10 and 12%. Okay. Maybe as high as 15. I'd have to look at the recipe, but off the top of my head, no mm. more than 15%, yeah. but a significant amount nonetheless. And that's uh, enough for you to actually get something out of it and justify the additional complexity of. Correct. Okay. <laughs> yep. Just enough to keep you guessing, right? Make you explore the beer rather than just sit there and drink it. It's an experience, right? Um, and to that, uh, it just it sets the stage for the hops, right? And the the true star of the show. It's yeah. But we want that stage to be elevated. We want people to get good visual of, again, the stars of the show and the hops. And so, depending on what hops you're using, you will structure a grist bill that's going to help you accentuate and lift up those specific hops right like our double ipa contains a, a percentage of oats um, just for a softer mouthfeel huh. right and it's uh those are citra, because of the intensity say, of the hops Amarillo. itself right and the amounts that we're using um but it it makes the beer more approachable especially mm. for its abv at eight eight and a half percent almost and it feels like you're drinking a seven percent beer it's something kind of special yeah a little dangerous, but you know. but you know even on this single you know West Coast IPA hmm. um, you know as you call it you know you're I, I'm still curious about this like how you you know in even in those depending on what hops you're using hmm. you know will tweak the grist bill just to to fit that not the first time I've heard this from a brewer and I'm but I'm always amazed at like you know I've talked to brewers here in Southern California who've mentioned. You know, and Central California using different Pilsner malt based on, you know, in their yeah. IPAs based on which hops they're using for that same kind of reason. Right. And I think it's interesting to look at these kinds of like multivariate equations that you're building, you know, you know, and, you know, with these different dependencies to, you know, to try to accentuate these kinds of things and understand why, you know, you're making some of those decisions. Right. Um, you know, are, are there other, you know, kind of hops that lead to certain decisions around, uh, you know, you know, what malts you're using in those beers? Not so much. Um, it, it's less dependent on the malt, but it, okay. I definitely want it to be unique. I don't want to make the same thing every time, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to get stuck in that rut. Um, I tried it before. It's not something that interests me at all. Uh, and so playing around with the different types of malt and seeing what works and what doesn't. And, you know, when it does work, incorporating that into new beers that we make which I'm trying to stay on top of, it's, you know, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> trying to keep it fun still. Are there, you know, body considerations, you know, that where you want more body, obviously months, uh, you know, has a, you know, bigger body than, a, you know, typically lean San Diego West coast IPA, yeah. um, you know, and, and obviously you're trying to, you know, you know, that that's purposeful in order to balance the hops in the way that you're trying to achieve it. You know, are there right. some other beers where you find you're doing the same kind of thing? Like, tweaking body in order to support less <laughs> less so yeah yeah okay. months i think it it definitely needs a substantial mouthfeel right yeah and that comes from the rye that's that unique grain that everybody tries to put their finger on and try to you know yeah 
what is that? Something that keeps them coming back for more. It's great. Um, but again, with the other ones, it's uh, keep it light, keep it crisp, keep it clean. And again, just try to accentuate the hops. Yeah. In the end. For the hoppy beers. And then when it comes to any of the malty beers, of course, it's... Sure, sure. Hops matter much less. We should, <laughs> And we should just acknowledge that you do brew a whole bunch of, you know, what we might call conventional craft beer styles. Sure. From dry Irish stout to red ale, yep. um, you know, apricot blonde ale. I mean, <laughs> some of these feel like, you know, two decade ago throwback uh, American craft beers. <laughs> Um, Which they might be, but it's uh, we try to make something for anybody that walks through the door, whether they're a fan of beer or not. Uh, You know, the people that come in and asking for a seltzer or whatever, uh, we do have a flavored Blondale that is light, crisp, and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor that, uh, you know, nine times out of ten people will drink it and be satisfied and not ask for a seltzer. (laughs) Well, it fits, you know, because this, this is, is very much a community business here, you know, in Alpine and, uh, you know, it always, you've always envisioned it that way, even if you are going to make, uh, you know, IPAs that, uh, that folks will crave from all over the state or around the country or around the world. Yep. Let's talk about, um, you know, scaling these IPAs. You mentioned adding oats in the double IPA mm-hmm. and you've got a triple IPA up on the board there, you know, and so you, <laughs> you, there are, you know, as you go through this kind of scaling process, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, there are, interestingly enough, I think, you know, hops and hop expressions that just work better at that higher ABV mm-hmm. realm, you know, rather than that single, um, if you build and support them the right kind of way. And, sure. uh, um, you know, I mean, I think especially in that hazy IPA world, like the hazy double IPAs can often be more compelling beers than hazy single IPAs just Correct. because now you get that full saturation and that, you know, that, that uh, everything that you really want out mm-hmm. of that yeah even if i don't love drinking eight and a half percent beers all the time i Same. You know, i can experience <laughs> enjoying that so talk to me about you know um you know from in, in your brewer mindset scaling these beers up and uh you know what factors you then uh, amp up in order to keep the balance where you want it in these right well especially with the triple ipa it's uh we need to have happy healthy yeast that mm-hmm. is going to attenuate as much as it possibly can because we need a dry beer that will uh, mask the alcohol that we've created right and make it drinkable for say an 11 percent beer which becomes now it doesn't taste like it, it tastes like a seven percenter and i think i can have two or three of these and well, next thing you know you really hope people are at home when they're doing that because yeah. we don't have very good uh, uber service here in alpine <laughs> And we don't have enough uh, cots out back to keep all the <laughs> drunk people here overnight. But um, we really want to make an approachable package, right? So you make a beer that uh, even though it's high in ABV, you use malt that you know is going to be fairly neutral. Again, let the hop shine. That's the true star of the show with a beer like that. And then on the hopping side, it just became, you know, how, how many different versions of hop products can I use uh, <laughs> effectively? And not have it be overwhelming, not taste, uh, you know, either too bitter or too harsh or too cloying or, you know, this, that or the other thing, finding a good balance. And I think I achieved that through uh, multi-stage dry hopping, which. Okay. Very So you don't multi-stage dry hop the smaller beers. You do do that. Not with, always. Not always. We okay. have one that we do a double dry hop process. Yeah. And, uh, I do what's called a knockout hop edition or what I'm calling a knockout hop edition. So I'll put hops into the fermenter before I knock beer out mm, into mm-hmm. it. And so create that biotransformation effect 
prior to fermentation or, you know, as, as soon as fermentation Concurrent, starts, yeah. it's happening. Yeah. Right. And instead of risking a geyser during active fermentation or anything of that nature, we just get it done all the way at the beginning and, and do a traditional dry hop after, uh, with this beer, the triple IPA, I'm sorry, with the triple IPA, we ran a hop back. Uh, so ran all the work through the hop back on the way to the fermenter, then traditional dry hop with, let's see, there was leaf hops in the hop back and incognito citra. Then the traditional dry hop of incognito in your hop back. Yeah. How's that work? Pretty good. Okay. <laughs> we've got the uh, leaf hop in there to help strain, for lack of a better. And then we've got the huh. screen in there, which helps it too. Uh, does restrict flow a little bit, but every bit of it was making its way into the finished product. Mm-hmm. And so we may or may not have some biotransformation effects from that addition, uh, making its way all the way through the word stream to the fermenter. Uh, after how, the, how much, you know, in a, in a triple IPA to two liters, okay. uh, on top of 10 pounds of leaf in the hot bag. So it was a pretty significant amount, amount plus the whirlpool edition it ended up being a fairly expensive hopped beer. Um, after the traditional dry hop, I refilled the, uh, hop back with more leaf hops, added some spectrum. Leaf hops too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now this was a trick from our previous triple IPA with Alpine Beer Company, Exponential Hoppiness. We would take the finished product uh, prior to carbonation, send it to a bright tank filled with a body bag size mesh bag of leaf hops uh-huh. and a little bit of American white oak. We uh-huh. have since strayed away from the white oak edition, yeah. but that was one of the things that also helped mask that high ABV. Uh-huh. We didn't need it with this. Uh, Why leaf hops? It's a unique expression, and it's something that I don't think enough brewers are experimenting with. Really? It's a more raw hop character, right? It's not processed. Um, and it's unique, and it's something that you can't get from traditional T90s. Sure. What uh, what hops do you use in leaf format? To Strata. Strata? For this one. We've gone all over the place. I've had Mosaic, I've had uh, Idaho 7, uh, Amarillo, uh, but most lately was Strata. And because of its freshness, it was it was the right move. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I imagine some work better than others. Sure. Yeah. I uh, haven't been disappointed yet. Uh, okay. At least for not, not for the last 15 years. Back when Amarillo started getting more seeds than hops, it was uh, time to switch it up. Now, if I'm... Th- you know, putting my brewer hat on and I see you're throwing a giant bag full of whole leaf hops into this already really, really expensive triple IPA Mm -hmm. that you've spent so much money on hops in. (laughs) And now you're going to throw this thing in that's Mm -hmm. going to absorb so much of that liquid um, that you're going to get, you're going to get even less yield out of this. It sounds a little insane, John. Yeah, marginally insane, but you know, that's we've always tried to push the, the envelope, you know, explore it to its fullest, right? How much can we do and how much can we get away with? Uh, the beauty of our hot back is uh, it's pressurizable. Okay. And so we provide, can squeeze it all back out then. Provide as much pressure as <laughs> we can without breaking the screen inside. Uh, you know, we don't want to bust any welds, but yeah. Uh, yep, just a couple PSI and we're able to push all that liquid out. And so. Loss was probably in, you know, a gallon or less. 
on the overall scheme of things, which is that's very reasonable. I would consider that acceptable. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Less insane than you may have thought before, right? Well, you, you see, <laughs> and that's why I asked the question. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course, you've got a solution to this. Sure. Yeah. You know, everything's good until it's not. And yeah. luckily, it just stayed good. So with this, uh, you know, hop back, you know, coming out, you know, with some biotransformation potential, um, you know, does your yeast, you know, this BSI one accomplish that? And uh, what do you, you know, you're talking about a lot of factors here in terms of a lot of intense hop flavors that could also, you know, go south real quick, (laughs) you know, and it's hard to, to pick apart what is the bio, what is the biotransformation effect? What is just the effect of all this massive hop saturation? Mm -hmm. And then once the effect of the increased, um, you know, efficiency of an extraction because you're at a higher alcohol solution with a, you know, 11% triple IPA, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to pull more out at that alcohol level just because alcohol is a much better uh, solvent yep. for that kind of thing. So, um, it's all part of the plan. Yeah, yeah. But what you know, what do you what do you think you get out of that in terms of uh, you know that that uh, you know biotransformative effect using incognito and a hop back along with whole leaf hops? There was more. I don't want to call it tropical fruit expression, but definitely a fruitier character and almost bordering on a melon like quality Hmm. and not from an over oxidation standpoint or over oxygenation, uh, during work transfer. Um, a lot of of the times when you get like that honeydew or melon character, it's from too much oxygen on the knockout. Mm. We found that out the hard way. Uh, and so there's a fine line between enough and too much oxygen as well. Uh, the biotransformation effect, it, it takes the fruit quality and it amplifies it, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? And so you get more and slightly different. It goes into that tropical realm more than the citrus forward, right? And so with that, it's uh, it, it's an entirely new hop sure. blend at that point, which is yeah, it's great. It's what we want. Are there other hop products that you're really excited about that uh, you know? Again, you love playing with hops. You've got everything here from hot, you know. Hop Keef to yep. you know CGX Strata, you know yep. uh, Incognito. I mean, it's you know yep. Cryo all in one beer. Um, <laughs> you know you are are definitely pushing some limits in a lot of different ways. Are yep. there are there some of these that you really enjoy using? You like the expression of? Are there some hops that you prefer in some of these either Cryo or flowable kind of product form versus? Um, and obviously you've got somewhere you like them in leaf too, which is such a <laughs> you know, cool throwback. Yeah. <laughs> got to, got to pay our, our respects to the classics, right? Yeah. What got us here in the first place. Uh, as far as the new products, I'm really excited about the, uh, sub zero hop keef from freestyle farms mm. in New Zealand. Uh, they've partnered up with, uh, an extract company that is making phenomenal flowable hop extracts that are not as one dimensional as some of the earlier iterations may have been. Yeah. And so providing a, a broader spectrum of hop character, which is awesome. And just the fact that you're able to open up a container and dump it in, uh, or, you know, measure out your amounts and literally just dump it into the tank, whether it be the, take the PRV off the tank or whatever mm-hmm. opening you have, get it in there, uh, funnel or not. And, that's awesome. Some of the newer products like Spectrum or Incognito. Incognito is a little bit more flowable than the Spectrum. Spectrum might have a more 
round hop character to it, but it is a pain in the butt to get out of the packaging. Mm. And so that and the trade-off, uh, a liter of spectrum is equivalent to maybe 10 to 14 pounds of pellet product. Uh, whereas the incognito is, contains a bunch of the alpha acid. So you're still getting bittering and I can't even remember what the ratio is. Uh, but some of these new Hopkeef products, it's what it amounts to is we get more product out of the fermenter into yeah. the bright tank, into the package or can. And that to me makes it affordable, right? If we get more beer, we make more money and keep the cycle going <laughs> Sure, <laughs> as sure. long as we can, because I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. How does cryo fit into that for you? I'm a big fan. Uh, I don't like to use it exclusively. Uh, okay. I think having a lot of that vegetal matter removed, uh, will make it seem a little one-sided or, uh, you know, I, I like to say hollow. There's something missing, you mm. know, drinking beers that were made traditionally for so long, it, when you remove one of those ingredients, then it, it's different and it can't quantify if it's a good or a bad different, right? Mm. So more experimentation and, uh, you know, once we find the amounts that we like and the ratios that we like, then we kind of stick with that. And then just, then we get to play around with varietals. Right. Yeah. And accessibility that has a lot. <laughs> They're getting harder and harder to come by. Really? They are. And uh, more expensive. And being a small operation, it's we don't have a lot of cold storage space for these right. things. We don't have a lot of uh, money to dedicate to contracts. And so we do what we can with what we got. Sure, sure. What, uh, you know, what are you most excited about uh, experimenting with over the next, uh, you know, 12 months? I will try to get into the thylized yeast and probably look at the thylized lager yeast mm. and maybe, maybe doing something like a West Coast Pilsner or something in that vein with that thialized yeast strain yeah i have yet to try <laughs> we'll see what we can do with that uh aside from that what, what does west coast pilsner or new zealand style pilsner mean to you i mean we call it new zealand style but it's like right you know, it's just hop you know just use the new zealand hops pilsner with new zealand hops right, <laughs> right. you know yeah and so for me west coast pilsner would be take those Pacific Northwest hops that we love so much and find a way to make those work. Where's the line for you between, you know, West Coast Pilsner and say, pale, ale. pale ale? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Especially now in this age when we've got plenty of brewers in California and other places, mm-hmm. even Oregon, you know, making IPAs using lager yeast and, right. you know, a lot of IPA makers using Pilsner malt and beers that they, you know, that are still branded as IPA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so all of the lines here are getting completely blurred which honestly sure. i don't care about i'm perfectly happy with that i think that as long as it tastes good we right? put too much stock in some of these you know the idea of style and uh, sure yeah i think those styles are more should be more descriptive than prescriptive sure um you know but but at the same time like you know where, where is that line for you between those things fermentation temperature uh, yeah. and ingredients for sure right okay. and so to to call a beer a pilsner Right. Uh, to me, you have to use lager yeast. Yeah. Right. Uh, that should be mostly Pilsner be malt. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then, it, you know, throw the West Coast moniker on there and then, uh, well, use West Coast hops. <laughs> right. Wouldn't that make sense? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and then, I don't know, man. Again, it is a fine line. And I, I like the, 
I like the experimentation. I like the pushing boundaries. I like the uh, making of new styles or, you know. So I, I guess it's really up to the brewer yeah. to draw that line yeah. and the consumer to accept it. Sure, sure. <laughs> and if they don't, then well, find something that you like. And yeah. I, I think for a last question here, you know, I want to look at it, take, make a you know, big picture stab at this. You know, the mm. this brewery here in Alpine has so much, it has a lot of history to it. Yeah. And has been pretty pivotal in this broader world of craft beer and been influential far outside the boundaries of the town Alpine that it's in here. Yeah. Um, you know, you went through, you know, uh, you know, this past saga <laughs> that we're not going to talk about. Sure came out of that why relaunch this brewery here with your own name your family's name on the brewery why get back into it after some of the the challenges that that last saga you know presented you know a lot of brewers going through that would have become so jaded that they wouldn't want to do this again right and yeah you're back in it you're a very small operation. You're brewing the beer on the brew house again, <laughs> this many years into your experience yeah. in craft beer. You're back on the brew deck. You know it's not a <laughs> uh, retired and have the staff do all of this for you. Like you yeah. are in the trenches and doing the work um, every day. And yeah. it's not something that you had to do. Right. Why do it? And what do you hope to achieve with McElhenney Brewing over the next five years? I wanted to create a legacy, uh, something that my dad would be proud of, uh, you know, coming from a great brewer of such and uh, turning into a brewer myself. Uh, maybe my son will follow in my footsteps. Maybe my daughter. I don't know. Uh, we'll give him the opportunity. I won't force him into anything, but, uh, you know, give him the option if they want it. Um, but what really got me back into it was uh, towards the end of my career with Alpine Beer Company, uh, being the brewmaster, I strayed so far away from making beer. I was basically supervising at times or just writing a recipe that I didn't even get to brew. And I I didn't like the that direction. I, I'm not a sales guy. I've got a good face for radio, right? I don't need to do public appearances and or meet the brewer things uh, to sell product. I just, I want to make good product that sells itself, which is fortunately what we've been doing for the last two years it's it's really good but uh brewing became fun again and for the last couple of years it wasn't and i didn't like that i i i wanted to make my beers i wanted to make the beers that i wanted to drink and wanted to see the smile on people's faces drinking the beers here in the tap room and uh, i didn't see another opportunity like that anywhere else uh, because the facility became available and we were able to retain the majority of the equipment it was kind of a no-brainer we had the funds we had the space we got the equipment do it see what happens <laughs> well all right <laughs> and now we uh we get to taste this latest iteration and development on uh you know this long history of beer making up here right. in alpine the saga continues. The saga continues, and maybe it'll continue for for generations to come. Fingers crossed. What a what a nice way to think about it, and a great place yeah. to bring this to a close. G and D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with twenty four seven service and support. Experience Nectar on in your next West Coast or Hazy IPA available from BSG. Try Old Orchard's flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage. 
Join the AccuBrew community and experience 24-7 peace of mind. Pro Brews Rotary Can Fillers reduce waste and produce higher quality packaged beer. Tabski QR code ordering is the future of brewery ordering. Omega stylized yeasts bring intense guava and passion fruit aromas out of your malt and hops. Keep your brewery running smoothly with five-star chemicals and ABS commercial is your full service brewery outfitter. If you've enjoyed this episode and any others, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button and uh, uh, let us send you the magazine, uh, you know, all year long so you can get more recipes, information and insight from some of the world's greatest brewers. Um, Sean, if people want to learn more about McElhenney, where do they find you in real life and out there in the, the digital space? Uh, Facebook, Instagram uh, uh, or at our website, McElhenneyBrewing.com. Uh, check us out. Give us a follow. See what we're up to. Make a pilgrimage up here to the tap room and brewery Absolutely. in Alpine, California. The place where it where it got its start and where it's back again, continuing the legacy right here. Uh, it's great to talk to you about brewing. Sean, cheers. Thank you very much. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.